Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back the director, Mr. Paul McGuigan. That's just the second time I've seen it, and it still kind of gets to you. The tears still, <laughs> still flow at the end there. Yeah, it's really interesting because Barbara Broccoli, who was the producer on the film, um, on set every day she was crying. Not every day, but good, good crying. You know, normally producers are crying on set. It's not a good idea. Um, and and then when she came up, we we edited the film actually, not far from here, and and so she would come up on the train every Friday every week to cry <laughs> and um, because you know there's a very close to her heart the, the story and, and and so it's quite an unusual film to to make you know because she she knew Gloria and Peter yeah Peter was a great friend of hers and still is and then um, I think when Barbara was 17 she went on a date with her boyfriend and Peter and Gloria they went to like Magic Mountain or something and they they rode the roller coasters and then and there's when Peter actually when Gloria died the it was Barbara that told Peter that she you know because he was as you can imagine very cut up about it as we know in the film and so it was, it was Barbara that told um, Peter to write it down you know and, and, and to write his memoirs down and so he did and this is where we are now in the film um, in a number of interviews um, Annette Benning has said that she's waited 20 years to reach the right age yeah. to, to, to play this part. Um, and does that mean she was the most informed, prepared, researched actor you've maybe come across by the time that um, you came to it and it was... Yeah, I mean, you know, state. interesting enough, you know, I, I kind of flippantly said it was the easiest film to make. I don't mean that in an easy film to make, but I mean that in a kind of, it just, you know, when I got involved, Annette was already there, and she wanted to know who obviously the, the, the director was, and, and then Barbara had put together the film, but they hadn't got the director, they hadn't got Peter, and so Annette, when I went to see Annette in in, um, in Los Angeles, her house, um, the funny story about that was I forgot that she was married to Warren B, <laughs> and because um, I was so kind of flustered about finding the house and you know, the sat now thing and all that. And, and then I went to Annette's house and then we had breakfast together and, and Warren was telling stories about Gloria. He knew Gloria very well. And um, and then Annette, when, when Warren left, and Annette sort of sat down with these books and pictures and post-its and I realised that she knew much more than I did about this woman. Um, and then, but the great thing about Annette is that she's a, she's a student before she becomes a master, you know, so she's... She's always asking questions, and and we had in, we had three weeks of um, rehearsals. Three weeks of rehearsals is quite unusual in the film business these days, unfortunately. And we had three weeks of rehearsals, and, and and again, it was all about questions and questions. It wasn't really about going through the scenes or or or, or you know rehearsing the scenes as such. It was more about talking about. Peter and Gloria's life and, and we had Peter Turner there the whole time and Peter would come in and tell us stuff and then we had Matt who, who wrote the screenplay and then we had Julie Waters come in and all the actors come in and we would just talk about relationships and you know it was kind of really fantastic and that's what and that's what Manette, Annette loves to do that she loves to um, be a student of everything and know everything even though none of that was in the film 
for her, she just needs to arm arm herself with that with that information. You know? And in terms of, of Gloria, obviously you can you can go to the films and see the performances. But I just wondered, is there? I mean, when she was in Britain, did did she appear on <coughs> Parkinson, or did she do a sort of hearty, or did she do any chat shows in the states? Is there? No. Did she just not do that kind of thing? Is there? Well, Gloria, as you saw the end clip, you know, she wasn't very forthcoming. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. She just goes, "Thank you very much." And um, Gloria, you know, Gloria, Gloria was involved in some with some very heavyweight men at the time. Nicholas Ray, who was her first husband. He, he directed Red Without a Cause, and he was the kind of, he was the biggest director at the time, and he directed In a Lonely Place. And they had a very tempestuous relationship, and at that time, it was easier for him to badmouth her, and she became a little bit of a hot property to handle for the studios. And then, as she again, another two marriages, and she became quite uh, scandalous, in, in Hollywood, and I, I think, you know, having done my research, I, I think that's very unfair a lot of the times. I think some of it's fair, you know, because she's not innocent in a lot of this, but, um, and so I think that for Gloria Graham, by the time she got to the UK, people had forgotten about her, unfortunately, so there was no Parkinson or even Russell Harry. Even Russell <laughs> <laughs> So, um, you know, so there was nothing like that, so um, she basically did, um, she did, you know, the, the local theatre and mm. she did provincial theatre and, and she did some television work and an odd movie here and there, but nothing substantial, you know. So I mean, she was doing the whole provincial theatre thing is where we picked her up in our story. Yeah. Um, so how, how do you gain your sense of, of Gloria? Was it just from the script? Was it what Peter shared with you? Um, well, Peter Turner just... just wrote this beautiful book. I mean, it was just amazing book. It's only 144 pages long, and which is great for a filmmaker because you realise that, like a fine perfume, he's just distilled down the relationship, you know? So I didn't have to do a lot of trying to go through the script or in the book and try and compare both. So both of them are quite, quite kind of concise. And then Peter, we obviously had Peter there. Mm -hmm. um, and then also I did my own research and. There's a book out called Suicide Blonde, which is a terrible book. It's a very salacious kind of Daily Mail take on Gloria's life. And I had to hide it from Peter because he, he knew I was reading it, but he was asking me not to read it. But of course, I, I, and then the train up and down from London every weekend, from here to London, I used to watch all her films and I would read this book and I'd read his book. And, you know, while everyone's watching, you know, the catch up of EastEnders, I'm watching you know, the big heat and, and the lonely place and stuff, so that was good. Um, you got the better deal. Though. I really did, yeah. I really did. And, 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 and her films are wonderful, you know, in fact, the GFT are showing um, in, in, a, in a lonely place in the big heat this weekend. That's right, yeah. Um, the, which is brilliant, so the BFI, yeah, the BFI are doing this whole reissue of her work, and it's really worth catching up, because I'm sure a lot of you know her work, but I actually didn't, I didn't know the name when I first got, got when, when the producer first, when Colin Baines came up to me as a screening of a friend's film and Colin came up and he was he gave me the script and no, he gave me the script, he told me about the script and he, he mentioned the name and I kind of vaguely knew it but as soon as I saw the face I, I actually of course I was like okay I love her and you know so I think that's the essence of the film is we wanted people to leave 
I'm doing this because this is where this makes sense. I'm doing this because I want people to leave the audience, you know, leave, leave the cinema and kind of Google her, you know, yeah. and, and, and find her work again because her work's kind of extraordinary and, and, and quite, and she's a very modern actor for her time. You know? Yeah. Do you have, do you have a, a favourite? I love in, in a Lonely Place. Yeah. You know, um, I would love to remake that actually. If anyone's getting any money out there, someone don't don't um, don't remake. Thanks. No, I don't know. You know, um, it's a brilliant story and and the book. I'm reading the book just now, and it's just, it's a great book. You know. Um. So you had an Annette, um, who was always yep. there, but you didn't have your piece there. So what led you to to Jamie Bell, who I have to say is is amazing. He's yeah. really. I mean. I can't say enough about this guy, he's just extraordinary and actually funny enough I hadn't worked with Jamie or I didn't really know him very well but um, when we went to LA to meet with Annette um, Jamie's name came up and, and we called him and he just said look can you come over to the house and to Barbara's house and we sat and it was the first time I'd heard the Hollywood accent or the Scouse accent because he actually came prepared with a yeah. Liverpool accent and then also talking to Jamie you know he's a very working class boy you know he's from, he's from Tyneside and you know and I liked that because I'm also that of that type and I liked the idea that he understood the family dynamic he understood that he was a working class family that accepted Gloria for the fact that her their son loved her rather than the fact that she was a film star you know and I think that's very important to the film to the dynamic, to the relationship, to the emotion of the film. And I really felt that Jamie got that straight away. So when I said it was the easiest film to make, what I meant is it kind of came together pretty quickly. Normally, you know, somebody's saying, well, you know, how's Brad doing? Is he, is he busy or, you know, is Angelina busy or whatever? But this was really good. So, um, and, and so Jamie just, to me, was, he was quite literally the first and only choice we had, which was amazing. Yeah. And the great thing with Jamie Bell is you can put a lens on Jamie, you know, it's a 40mm lens, we used to call it the Jamie lens, and basically it's a 40mm lens but very close, and even though he's saying nothing during the whole scene, like the scene when he comes back and Gloria's son's there, mm. and he just stands and listens to them all talking, we played most of that scene on him because to us it is Peter Turner's point of view, but it's also... Jamie as an actor is, is able to take that, you know. And a lot of actors don't like that. They don't like the intrusion of a lens sticking right in their faces, you know. Um, but he kind of got it and understood it. And it was wonderful to have that as a, as a way of editing. Because we did it for every scene. So every scene, if we wanted to, we could just make it about him, you know, and his reaction to what was going around him. So that was a nice way of being able to, in the edit, to... To, to bring it more into Peter's world. And, and there's also a great chemistry between him and Annette Benning, which makes you totally believe why she would fall in love with him and why he would fall in love with her. Yes. Um, and it's an interesting aspect of the film that it's an older woman, younger man, and they don't make too many movies about that kind of relationship. No, unfortunately not. You know, um, it was really important for us that you know, Annette played this very sexual woman, you know, of a certain age and very sexual and very aware and very lively and very hard to handle and had all her foibles and, you know, that was, usually it's the other way around, of course, you get the older guy or the younger woman, so that was interesting. And also, 
you know, the, the scene that meant a lot to me was the scene where she says to him, you know, come in and, and can you, can you, you want to have a, you know, like a, a two, the scene the two of them are, are, are doing the whole dance sequence. Yeah, yeah. Because to me, we had like five other scenes there where, you know, montage of them falling in love. And then suddenly it dawned on us that if we get that right, the audience will totally get it and we don't need to fucking keep plastering it onto them, you know, they yeah. get it, they get the connection. And so that, that whole dance scene was really interesting because I actually ran out and bought the rights to that song the day before we shot it. <laughs> and I put, I put it on vinyl, I bought it on vinyl, and we actually shot two, there was only two takes of that whole scene. And Jamie was the most nervous of them all, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, he's given all the moves. <laughs> he's danced before. <laughs> he has, he has to be fair. But, um, and, but we thought, so that was interesting. So I think Jamie and Annette are such different animals when it comes to acting and how they approach their acting style. But they're very similar in the sense of their way that they approach each other as actors, you know. And they have a lot of respect for each other. And, and I think Jamie was very nervous about working with someone like Annette. Whereas Annette was just thrilled to be working with someone like Jamie, you know, so it was a nice dynamic there straight away. And, and presumably he had, he actually had Peter Turner that he could talk to and meet and <clears throat> yeah. get a sense of. Well, the Peter Turner of it all is interesting. I love Peter Turner. He's, he's been the most amazing. I mean, he's just an incredible individual. He really is. He's, he's, he's one of those people that you meet in your life that you just fall in love with quite literally he's just so open and so genuine and so it was interesting because um we went up to liverpool like six months before we started shooting and then was doing press for another movie in, in london and she called me up and said i'd like to go up to to liverpool just have a wander about and go go to the playhouse and and we hadn't even decided about shooting in liverpool that time you know and then we went up to the playhouse we looked around and then we, and then I just said, well, let's go and, Peter Weiss, let's go and find your house. And so unannounced, we chapped on the door <laughs> of her house, of, of Peter's house. And this, this girl opened the door and she was just like, holy shit, what's going on here? She, <laughs> she obviously recognized Annette. And, and, but Peter never walked through the threshold of the house. And that was the one point I realized that he knew that he had to give over his story to us. And then a year later, I'm in a theatre like this, it was just with Peter Turner and myself and, and, and Barbara, and he's watching his life story, and he ends up on the floor, like here, just totally like, can't take it. And the scene where Annette, when Gloria gets taken down in the chair at the end, that was, he just says, that's the way it happened, that's to the point, that's the way it happened. So we gave him the story back, you know, so it was a lovely, kind of cycle of filmmaking and of storytelling, you know, and uh, we were able to do that for him. And, and we should say as well, in case people don't know, that he's in the film. He is, he's the guy who brings the chair on at the Romeo and Juliet scene, he just brings the chair on. Um, and he just wanted to, because he was an actor and he's actually quite a successful actor. Yeah, he wants to give him his, his well-deserved moment, you know. Um, shall we take questions from you lovely people there? Um, if anybody wants to ask anything, write down in the front.
Hello. Uh, congratulations, Paul. That was Thank a you. great film. Um, I, uh, I'd like to ask a wee bit about the music. If you could talk a bit about working with the composer and also the music supervisor. I thought the soundtrack was really great, really sympathetic and understated. And I like the musical choices with the songs. Oh, thanks for that. Um, yeah, the music was composed by Jay Ralph, who did Lucky Number 11 with me uh, way back in the day. And I just really liked his sensitivity for stories and he's quite an emotional character and I liked that. And then our biggest moment, I, well, I guess also, you know, the story was Liverpool in um, 78 to 81. But also it was a very female-centric movie, you know, I felt like I wanted to do so what I do actually is I, I give all the actors a, a, a soundtrack before we even start. So a lot of it was a lot of Northern Soul. There was a lot of um, female vocalists on that tracks, you know. Um, Dusty Springfield was one that, that, that I know Annette was really interested in. And then also I read Elvis Costello's book while we were filming and, and um, Actually, before we were filming, and he mentioned Gloria Graham in the book, and he was playing at the um, London Palladium, and he was doing that kind of retrospective thing, it was just him on stage. And then the first five, ten minutes, he has a picture of Gloria Graham behind him. And I was like, does he know I'm coming, or what's going on here? This is weird, but that's, that happened every night. And so that song, at the end of it, but, um, Elvis always asked me to tell people to wait because the song's coming on at the end. <laughs> um, and it's called, you know, You Shouldn't Look At Me That Way. And, and Elvis came and watched a, a rough cut of the film. And it was wonderful to work with a great artist like him. And he really got the film, he understood the dynamic and he came up with this hook. And then on Christmas Day, you know, he sent me the song, said Happy Christmas. And that was the song. <laughs> and it was wonderful, you know. But then also the, the the, the soundtrack, you know, I didn't want to go to, actually it's fair enough, a, a, I think that sometimes you can get too involved in the period when you go for songs, you know, and you're like, okay, and also we looked at Liverpool and we looked at all that kind of stuff and what was the songs in that era, you know, and then you realise that people were actually not, actually quite literally listening, listening to the songs of that very day, so, you know, um, and so it was, it was quite difficult. I didn't want to do something that, 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 that kind of put too much of a timestamp on it, you know. And that's why I like the Northern Soul, and I like the sort of more kind of songs maybe of 10 to 20 years before, you know. Um, and then, but J. Ralph and I spent a lot of time. He, he, he lives out, and he used to live in New York, but now he lives out in Los Angeles, and he has a beach house in, in Malibu, so I had to go there for three weeks. It was terrible. <laughs> but I was sitting with him, and he was lovely because a lot of composers... <clears throat> will actually just quite literally post you the soundtrack and say this is you start at zero zero and this is it whereas J. Ralph's not like that at all he's a very um, he wants me to come and, and talk to him about what I think about the scenes and you know and occasionally I'll even go to the piano and I'll start playing I don't play the piano that's how arrogant as a director sometimes you get you know you go Oh yeah, it should sound like this. And he's like, Paul, you can't fucking play the piano. <laughs> I know, but I feel like I should be able to play the piano. Um, and so music's a big part of what I do. And then I do give every actor um, a, a CD. Uh, not CD, that's, that's old school, but um, you know, I, I do give them a playlist. And, and sometimes for Annette, it would be different from what I did for Jamie. 
and then for other people, you know, and then introduces and the camera people, and you know, I give them music, and sometimes when we're shooting a scene, you know, the, the people will be listening to music, you know, just to get the flow of it. You know, it's important, very important. He's always has been important. So, so what would have been on an X playlist at certain points? Well, there's been Dusty Springfield, you know, again some Northern Soul stuff, um, and just stuff that you know. Annette said to me from day one, she said, "Look, this can't be about an old lady dying in the room. It can't be that. This story cannot be a story, and I don't want it to be sentimental either." And that's where we agreed with each other straight away. It was like, and it's hard sometimes, you know, because. You do want people to be moved by what's happening, and so when we start, when when we, there was one stage where I think I had too much music in, in the film, and then um, and then some people watched it, and one of the comments was, you know, just have faith in the actors and have faith in what's going on, and so we stripped a lot of our way, you know, we stripped a lot of the source music away, actually, especially we had actually a lot more source music, and we just let it hit the silence and. I love, because it's a film about detail, you know, I've done big movies where you're throwing sound at everything, you know, explosions and whatever. This one is actually really hard because, you know, I wanted Liverpool to sound like you could hear the kids outside playing. And that's all I wanted to hear. And in London, I wanted to hear the underground or something, you know, and then LA, I wanted to hear the sea, you know. And so I wanted it to be very stripped down. I didn't really want to hit it with too much sound. Anything else? Um, yes, right there and then down there. Hi, Paul. Um, Hi. Yeah, congratulations on a really lovely, moving film. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to ask about the um, your very imaginative, seamless transitions to the flashbacks. Uh, I loved how visual they were, and I just wondered if that was if it was written like that, and if not, how did it come about? No, it wasn't written like that, but, you know, thank you. Um, well, my idea was, you know, when I got sent the script, I instantly liked the idea of playing the whole idea of somebody's, what, what somebody remembers, the memory is fluid. Because memory isn't about cinema, it's not about a shot of an exterior of a house, and then you go inside and you have the memory. The memory should be instant, you know. It could be a voice, it could be a smell, it could be anything. So I basically, Eve Stewart, who, 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 who designed the film, and I sat down and I really wanted to go from one scene to another, actually with, with the main actors. So they walked through their own memories, you know. And so to do that, we had to design sets that actually did, were built one straight on top of another. And then so there's some scenes where Annette, the first transition, Annette's lying in bed all sick and all that, and then the camera leaves her and we go with um, with, with, with Jamie. And then we leave Jamie for a second, he changes his clothes, she jumps out of the bed, she goes through a wardrobe, a hole in the wardrobe, which connects the other, the other um, set. And by the time we come around, she's dancing about being all like fun and all that, but it was quite fun, you know, and, and it was very theatrical. But I also felt that it was important to come up with a, a kind of visual language for memory and, 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 and for how instant it was and keep the story very contained. Because as I said, the book itself is a very small book and the story is a very small story. 
so I didn't want to get off and and, and and use too much shoe leather to tell that story about going from one timeline to another, you know. So it was only three years as well, so it didn't feel like we had to do anything yeah. big, but it was nice to do something quite theatrical with it. And also it, it kind of pays homage to the, her films, you know, all the back projection and all that kind of stuff was, was there because yeah, I did actually quite literally watch her movies a hundred times. <laughs> and, you know, in, in A Lonely Place is a great scene where Humphrey Bogart and, and, and Gloria are sitting on the beach. And it's so obviously by projection, you know, and I was like, I want to do that. I want to do it in the studio, but I want to do it a bit better. And so we had the biggest by projection screen, I think, one of the Guinness Book of Records or something. And um, but that took a lot of doing and a lot of faith from the, the people that were paying for it and the producers and everyone you had to, and it was great to work with producers that actually understood the creative process and understood the reason why we were doing it, you know. Um, I think what might be our last question. Uh, congratulations, Paul. Thank That's you, an absolutely wonderful film. Um, I, you said at the beginning that uh, you had come across the script first. Yeah. Uh, did you? influence the script or did you rewrite it to your point of view or uh, uh, you said you then went and read the book and uh, yeah. uh, that, that was the sequence um, and uh, I read the book many, I know you did, I'm just laughing because I know I know I couldn't remember I, I th one of the things that really moved me was the uh, Romeo and Juliet sequence mm, mm. Um, that it was just that that high flown language was uh, it was so beautiful yeah. in the midst of the story. Uh, anyway, uh, the, the 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 question is, uh, how did you influence the script? I mean, I think you know. Well, thank you, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you know the story because I went to Colombia and it was a, a working title, and you know, um, when I came on board, and Matt Greenhouse, who was the screenwriter, and I sat down and. I did talk to him about my ideas about the whole trans transitions, and then he sat in a lot of the rehearsal process. So that's when the script really changed. Was at that point, you know, we all we all had faith in what we were doing. We all had faith in the book, had faith in the script that we had all signed on to. But then there's another process, the next bit, which is when the filmmakers and when the when the actors come. And if you really want your actors to get involved, you really have to get them involved. You have to really hear what they have to say about character and about what they feel about the character, you know. And so I think that's, that three weeks was really the most in, invaluable I've ever had as a filmmaker, you know. Um, and from now on, I'm going to insist that, <laughs> you know, because it's important because we had the screenwriter there. Because usually, you know, in, in film, they have this terrible thing where they try to get rid of the screenwriter pretty quickly, you know, because He'll just sit. Yeah, exactly. So um, and so, I was insistent that, that Matt was there the whole time, and and and, and because to me, you know, well, we're all in this together. And it was a lovely, it was a lovely co collaboration, and I think that's why it felt like it came together easy for me because I was the kind of last cog in the whole thing. You know, I was I was the last duck in the row, if you like. Um, whereas they had been twenty two years to me, as, as you know, Barry, with the Columbia and with you know, all these other people have been trying to do this film for a long, long time. And then, for some reason, these things get made, you know. Um, but 
the, the whole the whole writing process is because I'm not a writer, I don't write. So I have to rely on great scripts and I have to rely on getting stuff like this through and being passionate about that, but also knowing the story you want to tell as a filmmaker. Um, time is unfortunately against us, um, but I would just remind you all that uh, Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool is eligible in all categories uh, for this year's BAFTA Awards. You know, actor, director, actress. So just keep it in your thoughts when those ballots come your way. Um, and join me in thanking Paul McGuigan. Thank you. Thank you very much.